Romans chapter 4, we'll begin reading verse 18 this morning. Who against hope believed in hope, speaking of Abraham, the icon of faith, the father of faith, that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, being fully persuaded that what it promised, he, God, was able also to perform. Now go with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11 verse 8. By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out to a place which he should have to receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of the promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God, through faith also. Sarah herself received strength and conceived seed, and was delivered of a child when she was past age, because she judged him faithful, who had promised. Therefore sprang there even one, in him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky and multitude, and as the sand which is by the seashore, innumerable. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that there were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. I'm thankful for the completeness of the Word of God. I'm thankful for all 66 books. And the understanding that it gives us. And when we read about Abraham, you know, we look at these men in the scripture, we hold them in high esteem and uh, often forget that these were men of like passions, just as we are. And if you were just to read Romans 4 and Hebrews 11, you would think that Abraham and Sarah's faith was nearly perfect. You would think that these people, just from the moment that they uh, knew God and were called out of Ur in through that entire trek leading up to Canaan and then uh, to the sacrificing of Isaac and his death, that these people were just firm in the faith. But when you go back and take a look at their lives, you understand there were moments when they seriously wavered. And I want to talk about that just for a few minutes this morning. Wavering from fear to faith. How many of you have ever been there? You, you thought, I've been saved long enough. I shouldn't find myself in this condition. I shouldn't be fearful. I should be faithful. I'm not talking about a double-minded person. I'm not talking about low-level Christianity. I'm talking about you read the Word of God and you walk with God. But there are moments you uh, get news or read uh, the paper or watch all the devastation taking, on, taking place around the world or the doctor comes to you uh, with bad news, whatever the case We've all had moments where we knew our faith should be stronger. We knew our reaction should be better. Uh, we knew that, uh, God, I, I have people dependent upon me. My family's looking at me. Those in my ministry are paying attention. And I want to at least give the appearance of spiritual strength at this moment. You're just not feeling it emotionally, physically, or spiritually. And you say, God, I don't want this to be an appearance. I don't want it to be deception. I need your help. 
So what I have or what is being portrayed is reality and not fake. But God, you're going to have to help me because inside there's this trepidation and this fear. And I know some of you are naturally positive. That doesn't mean uh, you're positive in the midst of uh, earth-shattering circumstances. But I want you to see this morning as we look at faith. We know verse 6, without faith, it is what? It's what? It's absolutely impossible. So anything we do in the Christian life outside of the boundaries of faith does not please God. For he that comes to God must believe. Now, you look at the amazing terminology in Romans 4 and in Hebrews 11, what faith is being fully persuaded and accounting God able and obeying and embracing the promises and all these words. But a lot of time uh, it's here in the head and we know faith defined we understand all that. I was uh, often use the illustration. I was traveling again uh, last night and uh, considering the message on faith and thinking the faith that is found in flying. You're going to put a piece of metal 12,000 feet above the ground. And I didn't see a single person on that plane walk into the cockpit check the motor. I was sitting on that plane and when they banged that door, the luggage door shut, it it sounded like something crashed. And then there was a pause. And you guys know my flights and my, if it weren't for bad luck, I wouldn't believe in luck at all. But when I heard that bang, I thought, here we go again. Probably going to have us climb up this plane. And then it was quiet. People begin to talk. And then you hear bang again and you hear drill. Never a good sound would right underneath you, you know, a drill. And then you hear someone yell, got it, I think I got it. When he says, I think, <laughs> were those the screws that keep the wing onto the body of the plane? Or what exactly did you think you just got? But here's what's amazing. I didn't check if that pilot was drunk or sober. I didn't check his age. I didn't check his pilot's license. I knew nothing. I just climbed on, buckled my seatbelt. It was the first time I've been on a plane where the seatbelt actually didn't buckle. It wouldn't latch. I didn't even care. Think about this. If a plane goes down at 12,000 feet, do you really need to be buckled in? You might as well be doing jumping jacks in the aisle at that point. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter how you go out. But I, I, got, I got to think of the faith of just that total confidence. And as soon as I get on a plane, and I, I try to talk to my neighbor. And after I've done that, I, I want to sleep. I, I get stomach sick and, and sleep and it helps me. And uh, there's, there's just, to me, there has to be a total confidence. And I watch people climb on a plane and worry and think, we're both on the same plane, same pilot, same motor. And there's someone here having a heart attack. I don't know how many times I've been, I've been on planes, the turbulence. I've had them take off sideways. I've had them land sideways. I've had turbulence that uh, knock uh, luggage doors open. And uh, I had one guy drop his hands one time in his, in his hands and, and started praying. I thought, that's probably the first prayer you have said in your lifetime. <laughs> you need to pray and get saved first. No one's going to hear that prayer. But... When it comes to life, how amazing it is that we can trust people we don't even know and planes that we've never even researched and technology we know nothing about. 
but the God of heaven and the Savior of your soul is doubted on a regular basis. We've got to learn every day, just as I, we board a plane, have that same confidence in Almighty God and say at the end of the day, he has everything under total control. That doesn't mean that this flight will be turbulence free. Now that's my preference. There, there are times, uh, several months ago I was on a very rowdy plane and they got uh, extremely turbulent and that morning, I rarely do this, and I almost never eat breakfast, but I stopped into the Salt Lake in the airport and had, yeah, a taco, all that sauce and all that meat and all that grease for breakfast. And then that pilot decided to shake it for about 20 minutes. Now, you want to talk about serious prayer life. <laughs> when you're in the middle seat and you've got people on both sides, and you're saying, Lord, for their sake, please help me. <laughs> Have you ever had total confidence in the pilot, but there was enough turbulence to shake up your stomach, shake up your day, shake up your week? And here's Abraham. It looks like uh, things are going well. Now, here's the basis of faith. Look what it says, verse 8, my faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should have to receive for an inheritance. What did he do? He obeyed, and folks, I, I think as we read the scripture, meditation is so key because we're not talking about a man sitting at a service with a suit and a tie and a Bible, uh, the completed word of God, the Holy Spirit's indwelling, and a preacher that was helping him, uh, someone that had gone through discipleship and Bible college and having meditated on the word of God, studied the word of God, memorized scripture, saying, I'm going to obey God. You can't get the average independent Baptist to obey God when he has everything in his favor, including the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Abraham was coming from a heathen nation with none of that. No Bible, no preacher, no Holy Spirit. And God says, Abraham, I want you to leave Ur. And you know what faith is? Faith is stepping away from a worldly mindset. And worldliness is simply the, ab the absence of God or trying to, uh, this, this world saying, leave God out of your thoughts and out of your daily life. And here's a man that has to look at a wife and say uh, to her the most difficult words that a man can say, you are uh, now very comfortable with your home and with your family and with your circumstances. And now that we finally put the pictures you want on the walls and, and put the flooring that you want in the house and painted it the colors that you want, and now that we're finally financially stable, we're going to leave this. And I can't even tell you where we're going or what we're going to live in. I'm not buying a camper trailer. I'm not buying a mobile home. I can't even tell you a destination. All I want you to do is have a yard sale next week and sell everything. That's obedience on a different level. That's the basis of faith. So here's what we see. We see in their lives these great moments of faith but to have that maintained, the consistency of faith, where most of the time our faith looks like the stock market over the past eight months. The great peaks and great valleys. And there are times when, have you ever been maybe coming out of a conference, maybe just a great time in your spiritual life, where you're saying, 
God, I just want to give you everything. I want to serve you with my whole heart. I want to do right. Whatever you ask, that's what I'm going to give. And then two weeks later, you're struggling to tithe. And two weeks later, the Holy Spirit says, all that obedience and all, can you just pass out a track? Isn't it incredible the roller coaster that is the spiritual life and when it comes to faith? Now, here's the, here's the blessing of faith in church. If we could just reach a point, I, you know, I, I mentioned this last week, I'm, I'm in a different spot, I'm in ministry, I'm in leadership, I'm called to be a pastor, or, and the obligations are greater to lead and set an example of faith. But I'm so grateful. I've never had a single moment where I took a risk of faith and regretted it. Not one time. My only regrets in life are the times where I should have taken a step of faith and I didn't. To live the supernatural. And when you think about, here's what we're doing in this chapter. We're reading about the supernatural. Verse 11. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed. She was delivered of a child when she was past age i would say so 90 do we have anyone here bumping 90 do we have anyone here bumping 80 if if you consider lately having a child i was sitting with a, a couple of the conferences past week and they have uh four kids and i said tell me about number five she said oh no pastor we're way too old for that i said how old are you 37 Way too old at 37. And here's Sarah, 90, Abraham, 100. I remember years ago, uh, Kim invited to spend a night uh, a couple of the rowdy kids in this church. Uh, how were those boys at, at that time, babe? Uh, probably three and five or four and six. And those boys, we had a, a second story. They were upstairs. They were climbing the wall. They were on the roof. They were over the backyard. Uh, we went to go drop them off or go to the hospital, visit their parents. And uh, it, it was pouring. I mean, literally flooding. And the, the, the street had a river running down it. And I go out to climb in the truck. And Brittany's just standing there with a sheepish look. And that boy was in the river going, I'm a whale. I'm a whale. Look at me. I'm a whale. You know what I said, babe? I don't have the energy to be a father for 24 hours. Can you imagine Abraham and Sarah? What do you do with the baby at 90? Good thing she had servants. Can you imagine Sarah at 90 in the middle of the night? Can you go get that boy? 90, it takes energy to rock the rocking chair. <laughs> This was all supernatural. You know what faith does? Faith puts us right in the middle of the supernatural. And to think that the average Christian knows almost nothing about the supernatural because they haven't stretched their faith. Faith means that the Holy Spirit of God. Have you ever needed a physical therapist, maybe back problems or something, the majority over 45 or 50? At some point, need a therapist. And here's what they're, they're professionals at stretching you beyond what you think you should be able to stretch. Right? And 
you say, this is as far as I can go. He, oh, no, that ain't going to work. Put a 50-pound weight on his back and help him get, get a little further stretched. And, and they're stretching that arm or that, you know, something that was recently torn. And they're saying it's healed enough now to get it functional. You're going to have to stretch yourself until it what? Until it hurts. That's healthiest for you to do. Stretch until it hurts. You know what the Spirit of God is? He's your spiritual therapist. He said, I'm going to stretch your faith until it actually hurts because this is what is healthy for you. And the average Christian is so stiff spiritually because they've not allowed the Holy Spirit of God to stretch their faith. Now go back with me to Genesis 12 for just a moment. What they experience, we, we marvel. I don't know how many messages. Can you imagine how many messages have been preached by pastors and evangelists over Abraham and Sarah and their faith? And here's what you see in Hebrews 11. Those who walk by faith were the ones that experienced the supernatural hand of God. And let me ask you today, has your family ever seen in your personal life, I'm not talking about just in your church, I'm talking about your personal life and your family life, the supernatural hand of God. You know what the average Christian is experiencing? Paying for poor decisions that were made in the flesh and not the spirit. And those decisions cost you over the course of your lifetime. So Christians, instead of enjoying the supernatural blessing of God and seeing the supernatural hand of God, because they made a decision based on faith, they made a decision based on their flesh, and then they had to pay tomorrow, and the interest payment on sin only gets greater over time. And regrettably, here's what salvation does. God forgives you, and it doesn't matter what sin has been committed. That doesn't change the effect of pain. God will alleviate the consequence. He won't eliminate the consequence. So whatever sin it is in your past that made in the flesh, there's an extremely large payment, not, not today, but years down the road. And here's what walking by faith does. Instead of consequence for sin, it provides us the blessing of obedience. And Abraham had both. He had those moments of the flesh where we're still paying the consequence of Abraham's decision to get with Hagar. Look what it says, Genesis 12, verse 1. Now, the Lord had said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country from thy kindred, from thy father's house. I'll make thee a great nation. And he does. We see this act of obedience. Now, what happens? Verse 10. Verse 9, Abraham, he journeys. He goes on still southward. And there was a famine in the land. Now, what happens to Abraham's faith during this time of famine? And there was a famine in the land. And Abraham went down into Egypt to sojourn there. For the famine was, what? Grievous in the land. And it came to pass when he's come near to enter to Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, Behold now, I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. Therefore it shall come to pass when the Egyptians shall see thee, they shall say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will save thee alive. Say, I pray thee that thou art my sister, that it may be well with me for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. And it came to pass, when Abram was coming to Egypt, the Egyptians beheld the woman that she was very fair. And the prince also Pharaoh saw her and commanded her before Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into, the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. 
And he entreated Abraham well for her sake. He had sheep and oxen, asses, men servants, maid servants, and she asked camels. And the Lord plagued the Pharaoh. Verse 18, Pharaoh called Abraham and said, What is this that thou hast done unto me? Now hold on for a second. This is the icon that we just read about in Romans 4 and Hebrews 11. And if you had just read those chapters, what if in your Bible you only had translated the New Testament? You think, man, this man was perfect. I mean, he obeyed, he traveled, he journeyed, looking for a bigger city and a better city, focused was on God. But here's what God wanted to do. He wanted to include the details of Abraham's life, strong moments and weak moments, because we've all been there. And here's what happens. When we're wavering from faith to fear and fear to faith, uh, it's always a result of putting our eyes on the circumstances of life. Let's just be honest for a minute. A job loss, a decrease in income, inflation, gas prices. Whatever it is, the, the doctor comes with bad news. Whatever it is that shakes our faith, it happens when we put our eyes upon the circumstance. Here's when people's faith is shaken. When something touches us financially, this is the way we function. This is America. It's not the rest of the world. The rest of the world has learned to live very simply and learned to understand little income is a norm of life for the average citizen in the average country, but not for Americans. And folks, let's just be honest. When we went into COVID and there were lockdowns and things got crazy, we all thought within two years, we're going to have nothing. And two years later... The majority here are better off than they've ever been. Have more equity in their house, more money in their pocket, larger sources of income. That panic that happened. I remember talking to pastors when COVID first hit and uh, services for many churches were canceled. And I started getting phone calls and, and they were overjoyed. Uh, preacher, you know, our attendance is down, but our offerings up. Now we have online giving and we have people giving that we don't even know. And our missions is up. And I said, I wouldn't measure the spiritual state of your church by the size of the offering last Sunday. Uh, let's measure when they show back up after the doors are reopened and many didn't. But it, isn't it amazing that we uh, allow all of those things, those circumstances, to determine our level of faith. And the panic that is in our heart is because the focus turns from God the provider to man as if man were the provider. And here, what's he do immediately? He goes straight to the world for help. And church, there are... Uh, Here's, here's why it's so important for our faith to grow, because the times ahead are going to test our faith, and if it's not growing now, it's not going to be sustained during the time of testing. Our economy is not getting better. Our government is not getting better. Our future is not looking brighter. Now, here's what we need to do. We need to be bringing optimism to our youth instead of pessimism. And if your eyes and mind and heart is focused upon the circumstances, not only are you going to be filled with fear, you're going to fill the next generation with fear. God has not changed. The opportunity to present the gospel has not changed. Our opportunity to live for God has not changed. And here's what 
the average person does exactly what Abraham does. There is a famine in the land, and I've got to find out what my options are in Egypt. And Egypt will always lead you to make one bad decision after another. I believe this is where Abraham, if Hagar was Egyptian, where do you think, okay, we know the decisions that come in the headache and the hassle and Ishmael and all the rest, the problems between the Arabs and the Jews. Do you know all this started in a time of famine when Abraham takes his family down to Egypt? That moment of weakness when you go from faith to fear, you're worried about your wealth, you're worried about evil politicians. Hold on for a second. Why did he say, Sarah, I want you to tell people you're my sister. Now, can you imagine what was going through Sarah's mind? Her spiritual leader. So, this, this is the average woman. She gets a little nervous when she gets the compliment because she's saying, okay, what's to follow? Sarah, you are beautiful. But, okay, now what are you going to tell me? Um, this is going to put my life in danger? And the king is basically one of these men that, that he finds the best-looking ladies of the land, brings them into the palace, and sometimes in order to do that, he's going to take off the head of uh, the man that is that woman's husband. Or, I, I think, Sarah, you need to help me out here. To allow a political leader to cause fear and trepidation. And here's a man he didn't even know. He just said, I don't trust the politics of the land. I don't trust the politicians of the land. And here's what I need you to do. I need you to stoop to lying. We can't trust God. Do you see what took place? This great icon of the faith. We can't trust the politicians. I've got to figure this out. Isn't it amazing that we're trying to control things beyond our control? Abraham, if you can't trust God with your wife in this land, why are you there? If this is a great spiritual decision, why do you need your wife to lie? Folks, when we allow famine to shake our faith, when we allow all the news of the week, that, Pastor, do you understand? Ukraine's the breadbasket. Russia provides the... Uh, Fertilizer, the ingredients for the fertilizer. Uh, do you understand? President Biden just said that, that uh, food hardship is going to be real. Uh, do you understand that uh, I can only store so many rice and beans in my closets and in my sheds? Do you understand? I don't have the freezers to, to keep uh, everything that I need to purchase for the coming famine. Why is it that the Christians are acting crazier than the world? Why is it that the Christians are more paralyzed by the politics and the news of the day. There are more Christians building bunkers. Now, here's what I'd suggest. If you're going through the Great Tribulation, I would build one. <laughs> Folks, how many believe that there's a God in heaven that demands wisdom of his children? There's a great difference between wisdom and panic. And for the Christian, I, I'm thinking... Okay, I'm, I'm looking at the saints of God. And yesterday was the best day of your life. Look, look at how healthy you are. Pastor, look, sir, didn't see You're here. Your heart's functioning. Your mind is functioning. 
your car's functioning. Your house hasn't been, been repossessed. You went out to eat. You got with your family. You slept in late. The weather was beautiful. You couldn't even celebrate the best day of your life because you're so concerned about two years down the road from now. And this world is so played with your mind, you're panicked. What, what's going to happen to my grandchildren? You don't even have them yet. What, what about today? Why are you ruining today? Why are you trying to paralyze your family with fear when God has provided you an opportunity today to love him and to serve him and go eat a hamburger and chill? What about a bread shortage? If you're so worried about it, go buy two loaves and eat them both. Isn't it amazing that they're talking about the shortage and, and it's, all, it's all foods that are poison anyways. Wheat and vegetable oil. They're gonna be, you know how much we need wheat and vegetable oil? That's why we're all overweight. Wheat and vegetable oil. Wouldn't it be bad if we had to take those two things out of our diet? Pastor, why, why are you going there? Because the chapter's going there. Abraham had the same fears. They were talking about a wheat shortage, a vegetable oil shortage. And he said, where are we going to buy it? Egypt, he heard the news. So he went. Folks, when, here's the problem. I, I watch Christians back up in the faith because they, they do it under the pretense of protecting their family. Pastor, I, I can't be faithful uh, to church because, you know, it's going to be better off for us to take this time. And, and Abraham, so you're going to protect yourself by lying about. So let me ask, all you're doing is facilitating the king taking your wife. Maybe he has an ounce of morals. Can you, can you imagine Sarah trying to process this? Sarah, just tell me you're my sister. She's saying, so how is this going to help me out? You know what happens when we're spiritual leaders and we do something that is motivated by fear? Our kids are grounded enough spiritually to identify a decision that's not faith-based. Our wives are spiritual enough to identify a decision that's not faith-based. Respect is not something you demand. Respect is something that you earn. And the women in here are godly enough to follow the, the leadership and to say, okay, let's do this. And, and Sarah simply said, okay, let's do this. But you know what's going through their mind? This is not faith-based. This is not God-led. This is not a proper and right decision. What, what was screaming every fiber in her body on the way to Egypt was saying, Abraham, have you lost your mind? God, would you speak to him again? Do we really have to go through this? There are other places to buy bread. There are other ways to get around the devastation that's taking place in the economy. Abraham, we have herds. We could, we could go totally keto and eat meat for the next six months and be totally fine. What's wrong with lamb chops for breakfast and bacon for lunch? You say he was a Jew. Officially, but there weren't the laws yet against bacon, so he was, I guarantee he was eating as long as he could. Folks, I'm, I'm just telling you, there are so many things, and most of them are not the realities of life, but the possibilities of life that shake our faith. 
They're truly, uh, with all that's going on in our members from health issues to uh, financial problems, whatever it is, whatever kind of stress you're suffering right now, your greatest stress is not the reality of day, today, but the possibility of tomorrow. Our minds are totally stressed out, not because today was horrific, but because tomorrow might be. You know, you know how much time has been lost fretting about all the horrific possibilities of tomorrow. While right now you have cash in your pocket, the strength to go spend it, the mental capability to enjoy it. But, you know, I, I found this article online that you really need to read. And, it, you know, there's a digital dollar that's coming. I don't know why you're concerned about it anyways. You've done everything except take the mark of the beast. You haven't had cash in your pocket in two years. <laughs> Credit card's the only way that you've ever lived. So what, they already know how you spend your money. Well, pastor, you know everything that could happen? Uh, basically, your life and what you're doing right now is not going to change. It's amazing how we've allowed the circumstances. So here's what we do. When our eyes are focused on the circumstances, we bounce from fear to faith and from faith to fear. And at the end of the day, God has not changed. The world hasn't changed. It's just as corrupt as ever. It'll be just as corrupt as ever. Politicians will be just as corrupt as, as ever. Um, financial problems will be just as common as ever. Here's what he said. Verse 12. Therefore it shall come to pass when the Egyptians shall see that the they shall say... This is his wife. And they will what? You know another thing that causes fear? Imaginary physical problems to come. I'm going to die. My wife's had cancer 12 times. Say what? Her father died of cancer at 38. So every pain she's ever had is cancer. Babe, look, look, look at this spot. I'm like, it's a mole. And it's not cancer. How do you know? I got stomach pains. Don't drink Pepsi. <laughs> it's not cancer. <laughs> you know, we torture ourselves. Folks, it's literally the panic that we can live under. I think we ought to take care of ourselves. I think we ought to watch our health. But here's Abraham looking literally at the circumstances of life and saying, it's highly probable that I'm going to die. Well, going to Egypt is going to kill you. Don't go to Egypt. If eating a hamburger is going to kill you, don't eat a hamburger. Amen. If there's pesticides in your wheat, stop eating pancakes. But at the end of the day, when we live consumed with the fear of the physical, you're going to age. Your numbers are going to eventually become very distorted. Every doctor under the sun is going to try to put you on some kind of medication that will produce the need for you to be on another medication. And they'll practice on you because that's what they do. They practice medicine. You get to be the guinea pig, test after test after test. You know what we don't want in preaching? We don't want anything that is practical. Here was a, this icon in the faith. In, in all of this, I'm going to Egypt. I'm going to have my wife lie. I'm worried about my own health. I'm trying to take control of what only God can control. 
politicians are evil. They're only trying to get me killed. Everything in one chapter that we deal with that causes us the same fear and the same trepidation, that causes us to bounce from fear to faith. Now go with me to 16. If you look at these other chapters, it's amazing. Uh, You have great steps of faith. Uh, You have Lot's rescue. You have Abraham taking 318 men, untrained men, and fighting against a coalition of five kings. It's incredible faith. So once again, mountain peak. Then what happens? Chapter 16. Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, bear him no children. She had a handmaid, an Egyptian whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said unto Abraham, Behold, now the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go unto thy handmaid. Uh, it may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abraham hearkened to the voice of Sarai, which in this day was very common for a man to have concubines. It wasn't, uh, especially not coming out of Ur. He had no Bible. Uh, this was nothing out of the ordinary. He could take her as a secondary wife. And he had a child. You know what this is? So they go from the peak back to the valley of, I, I'm just uncertain. Now, we're, we're talking about decades into their journey. How many of you have at least a couple decades under your belt as a Christian? Raise your hand. And then you caught yourself in a low moment. No, I mean, you couldn't even measure your faith on the radar. It was non-existent. It was just fear. It was just flesh. It was just, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if God can solve this. The, the, literally, the, the panic in your heart, the panic in your mind, wondering what God was doing. Was God actually paying attention? Did God even know? Does God even care? Is God, is God there at all? Why doesn't he step in? Any kind of delay and God's response usually is devastating to faith. Because we have a timetable, and God doesn't work off that timetable. Now look what it says in chapter 18. I wish, at times reading the scripture, I could put myself right in the middle of the circumstance. God's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, but he shows up with a couple angels. This is a Christophany. He, he shows up. And Abraham at first doesn't realize who he's hosting. But he does in the middle of the conversation. But look what it says, verse 10. He said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life. And little Sarah thy wife shall have a son. Sarah heard it in the tent door. Now remember this. You're in your late 80s. She's given up on the idea of having a child at this point. God promised, I don't understand, maybe the end of the day, it is Ishmael. Obviously, it's not me. Physically, I'm not capable. And Abraham and Sarah were old. And here's what God says. He highlights this. Well stricken. Okay, just go grab a stick and beat that thing half to death. That's what old age had done to Sarah. (laughs) That's what God, that's not me. That's the terminology that God uses. How many of you are old enough to feel like you've been well stricken by age? Some of you aren't even 50 yet and you feel that way. I was talking to Keith and Sally. Sally is another surgeon. I said, Keith, how, how did she hurt her knee? She tore her meniscus. I said, how did she do it? 
He says the strangest thing. She's just one day walking around the house. Next thing you know, there's this bubble on her knee. I said, jumping jack, soccer, race. No. I said, Keith, the last two injuries I've had, the most severe injuries I've had in the past 10 years, I went to bed healthy and I woke up injured. When you can, when, when you can injure yourself sleeping at night, you're in a different category. Amen? <laughs> she was well stricken. And it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. Therefore, Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure in my Lord being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I have a surety bear a child which am old? Is anything too hard for me? Now here's, here's that wavering from fear. So we, we talk about great steps of faith, great steps backward, great steps forward. But, but here she is nearing the end, and God's about ready to do the miracle. God's about ready to do the supernatural. And remember this, in Romans 4 and Hebrews 11, when it speaks of Sarah's faith, what's it say? We're talking about fully persuaded. Can someone explain to me this moment? Does it seem to you she was fully persuaded? I mean, the woman, the old gal didn't even have enough energy to laugh out loud. She just kind of chuckled within herself. Said, I'm not going to waste the energy, but... <laughs> and God heard it. You know what's amazing? We talk about a real step of faith. You know what the average independent Baptist would do today if we spoke a real step of faith? Not laugh inwardly, but laugh out loud. Pastor, we can't do that. Pastor, God has no plans for that. It, in our life, the majority of our life, when we're talking about, okay, Abraham's going to, he's going to go to Mount Moriah, he's going to offer his son. And that, to me, is the revelation of all these years of living by faith. Because, Ernest, if you told your wife you were going to take one of your boys and sacrifice your son, whew, you'd be going up that hill with a black eye. Uh-huh. You ever been hit by a, a pan in the kidney? Right. I'm not making that stuff. Come on, tell me, women, you wouldn't do that. There, without faith, there would be extreme resistance. So here's what we've seen. It, we talk about Abraham passing the test. It wasn't just Abraham, it was Sarah. Because Sarah gets up with them early, cooks some breakfast, helps them load up the, the donkeys, and off they go. So we're talking about two people that are growing their faith. How did they pass this test? Now, let me ask you this. Do you think the tests that you've already passed by faith are, are going to be easier than the ones yet to come? In your finances, in your health, in your children, in your grandchildren, in politics, in your freedom, whatever that is in your ministry, there are greater tests to come. And that journey means I'm going to have to be as I fall, I still must be moving forward because at the end of the day, if my faith, here's what you're going to see. COVID purged churches all across this nation. You know what it did? It just revealed those who had not grown their faith. We look back on the past 18 months of testing and come to the realization that testing was much easier than what we imagined. Pastors weren't thrown in prison. People weren't, the majority of people weren't even locked outside their church. Their pastor said, don't come. And those that went weren't jailed. 
Very few churches were even fined. Yet how many people never ever came back to the church post-COVID? How many people never restarted their ministries? How many bus ministries stopped? How many prison ministries stopped? How many junior churches were shut down? How many schools were closed? I mean, it's endless. You know why? There was a test of faith that revealed the lack of faith and lack of growth. So church this morning, simply put, we all, your pastor has been there. I've been there this week. I've been there repeatedly this month where I get my eyes on a circumstance and instead of full of faith, I allow myself at that moment to become full of fear and say, what about the unknown and how are we going to deal with that? How is the church going to deal with that? How are our finances going to deal with that? How will my health deal with that? And every single person here will have at least daily, at least, usually multitude of times daily, a reason to move from faith to fear. And how many of you realize the older you get, the closer that step is? It's not that young, young people have more faith. They're just more oblivious. Clueless is beautiful. Amen? How many of you wake up clueless and then somebody connects you to reality and you're like, what? Thank you for connecting me to reality. I appreciate that. You don't go to the doctor, you don't watch the news, you know, just walk out in your yard, smell the flowers, pet the dog and say life is good. But the bottom line is, church, in our journey of faith, here's what it is. The journey of faith is all based upon your your personal relationship with God. And we see Abraham, he has an altar, he's close to God. He's hearing from God. And then he gets close to the circumstances and you see his faith wane. In church, we talk about a relationship with God, but here's, here's the bottom line. No service, no pastor, no ministry, no person, no obligation can keep your walk with God where it ought to be. No message, no outline, No Bible reading plan can keep your walk with God where it ought to be. But if you don't personally choose, and if you don't help your children establish their personal walk with God, here's what's going to happen. That test to come is going to reveal, oh, you can put on a tie and you can put on a smile and you can come to church and everyone thinks. I mean, you just looked around at our crowd today, you'd say everyone here is full of faith and they love God. But here's the problem. I'm not talking about a service Sunday morning or a service Sunday night. I'm talking about your personal walk with God on a daily basis is what grows your faith. And if you're not growing your faith, the test to come is going to prove either the lack of growth or the incredible growth. Because they are, I want to warn you not to be the the prophet of doom. The tests to come are much greater than any test you have faced to this point. And this is why you must grow your faith. Not that you're not going to have moments of weakness, but because he was growing his faith by walking with God. When the greatest test of his life came, you know what we see? The measurement. 
He passed with flying colors. There had to be fear there somewhere. But here's, you see everything in his conversation. God will pro- provide himself. God will provide himself. And with confidence, his son, his nurse, dad, what, what's going on? Isaac was a grown man. The faith in that family was so strong, mom had no problem with God's command. The son, who is now an adult, had no problem with being offered as a sacrifice. And dad said, we've gone through this before, and God has never failed us. So church, there will be a test. Today is the best day of your life. There's no restrictions on your walk with God. Those no restrictions on your calorie intake today for lunch. You got the money in your pocket to pay for it. Did you know just about everyone sitting here this morning, if they wanted to go to Texas Roadhouse for lunch, could go and it wouldn't even set them back financially. And if you had a flat tire on the way over there, you could get it fixed and it wouldn't even say, oh, it, it, you know, it may cause a little pinch. But overall, you're not really going to notice. And your family's healthy. But here's what we're doing. The doom and gloom of the moment have caught us where we've lost the blessing of today because of the fear of tomorrow. And if you're not, hold on for a second, folks. Let me ask you this. If your faith is not strong today during some of the most perfect times of your life, I've gotten to the point the past year, literally I wake up every day and say, Adam, you are living the very best day of your life. I ought to be jumping up and down and shouting hallelujah. And you ought to say, Pastor, what is wrong with you? Why are you so exuberant? Why are you so joyous? Why why are you just so filled with happiness? Because today is simply amazing. But one look at 2026 says, kids, let's go buy rice and lock ourselves in the bunker. 